This podcast is brought to you by Schweitzer Church. If you want to learn more about us, please visit any of the links in the description. And now, please enjoy the message. Well, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you're here. Today is part three of our series called The Last Week. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be Mark chapter 11. I encourage you to turn there. Um, the plan for the series is really simple. Every week in the series, we're just looking at a different day in the last week of Jesus. The week that starts with Jesus entering Jerusalem as the celebrated king on what we call Palm Sunday. And it ends with him being laid in a tomb, a borrowed tomb after his shameful crucifixion. It's a big week. It's, it's so important, of course, that in the Bible, the gospel writers spend like 30% of their time telling us about these seven days. And so we would do well to spend some time here. It's rich, it's deep, it's very meaningful as we walk through the final, the last week of Jesus. So this is part two. We're on the second day of the week. That is Monday, Mark chapter 11. Here's how it goes. Verse 12. The next day, that is Monday, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seen in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. What a weird way to start the day. So maybe Jesus isn't hungry. Maybe he's like hangry. He's, he's losing it here. But anyways, hold on to what just happened and we're going to keep reading. Verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. And that's the end of Monday. What a strange, strange day. I mean, what's, what's going on here? I mean, how do we make sense of this? These two scenes are so strange. I mean, there's not parts of Jesus' life that we normally talk about. I mean, we don't really have a lot of sermons about these two things, the the cursing of the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple. I don't think there's ever going to be like a he gets us commercial about these two scenes. So, so what do we do with this? How do we understand this? What is Jesus doing? Um, those are great questions. I'm glad you asked it. So let's talk about it. Um, to, and to really understand this very strange Monday, we need to take some time to understand really the most important thing um, to Jewish life in the year 33. And uh, the most important thing to Jewish life in the year 33 is the temple. I mean, it is hard to overstate how important the temple is to a Jew in Jerusalem in the year 33. So if you go to Jerusalem today, um, the temple is no longer standing. The temple mount is still hotly contested. And so there's a mosque there where the temple used to be. The mosque is called the Dome of the Rock. Um, the Jewish temple was destroyed by the Romans in the year 70, so about 40 years or so after this happened. Um, in, in Mark, this is um, the temple was destroyed by the Romans. And and the temple was destroyed because there was a failed Jewish uprising that had destroyed the temple. And it was just a really, really terrible war that the Jews lost just very, very badly. But if you go to Jerusalem today, there is no temple, but there is a wall that's left, a retaining wall. 
And so some 2,000 years after the temple was destroyed, uh, Jews still go to that wall, the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, to pray. So you can kind of get a glimpse of just how important the temple is if, if just a retaining wall still gathers people together to pray because it's just that important. In the year 33, the temple was just, I can't overstate how important it was. It was the central part of Jewish life. And it was important for, for two, um, two really big reasons. And, and these big reasons are, are kind of hard for, I think, us to, to wrap our minds around because as modern Christians, we a lot of times, I think, think of the temple like we think of our church buildings. And maybe we think of it like a, like a really big church building, really important church building, maybe like a cathedral. But the temple is really not like how we thought, think of our church buildings as modern Christians. How Jews thought of their temple um, is just, it's, it's really not the same. It's not the same for two really big reasons. One is the temple is where God dwells. The temple is where God dwells. And I know we think of a church building like this is, you know, God's house and the church building is special and it's special, of course, because it's devoted to God. But the reason we encounter God in the church building is, is not because of the, the building per se, but because of the gathered people. That's, that's the message here. But for the Jews in the year 33 who still had this temple standing on the mounts, um, God was in the temple, was in that building. Bible scholar N.T. Wright, he says that the temple for the Jews, it was, it was the place where heaven and earth met. And I love that language because it's pulling, of course, from the Lord's Prayer, but this is the idea that, that the temple is this like gateway between heaven and earth. And, and so to go to the temple was to be as close to heaven as you could be. In the temple was the special room called the Holy of Holies. Um, it was divided from the rest of the temple by this big thick curtain so no one could go in. And the Holy of Holies like was where God was. Um, and the claim was that to, to go into the Holy of Holies was to like go into heaven. That's like heaven and earth are meeting and they're meeting in the Holy of Holies. So God is in the Holy of Holies as God is in heaven. That's, that's why it's so important. And uh, you can't just, you know, go into the Holy of Holies. That's not how this works. You know, you can't just show up and say hi to God. That's not, that's not how the system worked. Um, only one person could go into the Holy of Holies once a year. And the reason for this was because sinful people can't come in contact with the Holy God. I mean, sinfulness in the presence of the Holy God leads to death. And so only once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, make sacrifices for the people and and he would only go after sacrifices had been made for him that he'd been atoned for with the sin. And, and because to go into the Holy of Holies was to risk death, they would tie a, a rope around his waist and he'd have bells on his cloak. And the idea was that if the bells stopped ringing, then he had died. And so you start pulling on the rope because it's risky to go into the, into the Holy of Holies because, because the holiness of God that is in the temple is, is not something that can be trifled with. It's not something that, has, that you can just approach. It is something that has to be respected. And so this might sound strange to us um, to take the holiness of God that seriously. It's not a way that I think we normally think. Although I, I do think there's something that, that kind of resonates with us. Um, I mean, there's something there that people still sometimes cling to. Like, I don't know, about once a year or so, I will meet someone who, when they find out I'm a pastor, they love to make this joke. Oh, you better not stand close to me, right? Lightning's going to strike. And then they laugh as if they're the first person to ever come up with that joke. And I just roll my eyes because that's like, it's, it's, that's a, that's a tired joke. But at the same time, I think they're, they're expressing something there about the holiness of God. They may not think that they're expressing, but there is something there that we realize, you know, God is different than us. 
God is unique from us. There's a distance between us and God. And when I'm not living right, that distance is, is felt. And that's what the holiness of God um, you know, is, all, is, all, is all about. Now, the second reason, though, that the temple matters is because the, the temple is where sacrifices are made. And so if you read through the Old Testament, there's an elaborate uh, sacrificial system that God gives to the people of Israel. And the purpose of the sacrificial system was to make a way for Israel to come and experience, to worship, to have fellowship with, to connect um, with this holy God. And this is the paradox of God's nature. God is holy, he's unique, he's different, he's separate, and God is personal. So we don't just pray to some life force, we, we pray to God himself who is personal. He wants to be known, he wants to have a relationship with us. And so the sacrificial system was the way that God provided for the people of Israel to come to know God. And the basis of the sacrificial system, if you've not read through the Old Testament and studied that in detail, well, the basis of this was that certain prescribed animals became a substitute for sinful humans. So the word scapegoat, right? We use that sometimes still when someone takes the blame for us. Well, that word scapegoat, it comes from the Bible, like the, the animal that literally took the blame. It took, became a substitute for us, became a substitute for us that, that, uh, that, 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 that the, the animal became, took our place there. And so the Bible teaches that the wages or the consequences or what you earn from sin um, is death. And so these sacrifices that were made in Jerusalem were made according to God's design. And these animals became a substitute for us um, that we could be atoned, that sinful humans could come to know and experience and have fellowship with this holy God. Now, there is a whole lot more that we could say about that. That is like the tip of the iceberg that we just that we just covered right there. But I wanted to fill in enough gaps that to help us make sense of what happened on this Monday. So, so let's go back to Monday. And um, now that we understand the importance of the temple, we can talk about what Jesus was trying to accomplish, what he was, what he was after here. And so let me offer you three things that Jesus was doing on this Monday, this very strange Monday. It starts with the fig tree and it ends with the cleansing of the temple. What's he doing? Well, let me offer you three things. First, Jesus is demonstrating his authority. That's the first thing he's doing. He's demonstrating his authority. I mean, look what he does. He shows up at the temple and he starts to act like he owns the place. He starts to drive people out. He's upending tables. The other gospel writers tell us he makes a whip and he starts to, to drive people out of this. He's, he's acting like he owns the place. And he's acting like he owns the place because he does. I mean, he is the king and he is here to set it right. It's lost its course, but he is here to set it right. I mean, notice the way he talks here in Mark chapter 11. He talks about, he says, my house, right? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This is my house. This is mine. He's staking his ownership and his authority over the temple. Author and pastor Tim Keller says that Jesus shows up that day and starts to his line. I love this. He starts to rearrange the furniture. And you only rearrange the furniture, of course, if, if you're the owner of the house. It'd be super weird if I came over to your house and I came into your living room and was like, well, this chair really needs to go over here. I can't believe you put the TV on this wall. No, only the owner rearranges the house or the furniture. And this is what Jesus does, that, that he is rearranging the furniture of this house. Now, one of the things that Jesus is demonstrating that day then is that, is that the temple, that this is his, it all belongs to him. So I have the authority here. I am going to rearrange the furniture. And honestly, this is a, a picture of Jesus that for some of us is probably really uncomfortable. I mean, we love to picture Jesus as like the meek and mild teacher 
the one who uh, you know, says, let the little children come to me. The one who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We love to, to think of Jesus as the one who's calming the storms because he comes the storms in our own life, or he feeds the 5,000 because he takes care of people. He heals those who are sick. He heals those who are lame. We love to picture you know, those parts of who Jesus is. And of course, that is true. I mean, Jesus is, is like that. But also, Jesus is this person too. He's the person who takes authority. He has fire in his eyes and thunder in his voice. He shows up and he speaks as one who owns the place because he does. He is the king. And so if your picture of Jesus doesn't include him exerting his authority, if your picture of Jesus does not include like the hard line of his will, if, if your picture of Jesus is all about comfort and making you feel better and having a, you know, a sense of maybe overcoming things. If, you're, if, you're, if Jesus is about making life better for you, if Jesus just affirms everything you already believe, if Jesus affirms you know, how you already think about the world, if Jesus agrees with everything that your political party agrees with, if, if that's the Jesus that you have, he doesn't have a hard line to his will, he's not challenging you. Listen, that's not Jesus that you're following. That is an idol that you've created of a false Messiah. King Jesus demands authority and he's gonna take it. This is who he is. So Jesus has the authority to rearrange the furniture in our lives. And, and one of the things that we should expect when we follow Jesus, therefore, is that he is going to come into our lives, start upending tables, start rearranging the furniture and start acting like he owns the place. This is what he's gonna do for all of us. He's gonna reset priorities. He's gonna challenge us in what we think, what we value. He's gonna reset our worldview. He's gonna call out things that need to change within each of us. And the biblical word for all of that, of course, is repentance. That Jesus is gonna call us to change. Repentance means to change. And so as we come to Jesus, we don't just say, oh Jesus, I'm so sorry for my sins while I keep sinning. No, repentance is this call to change. It's this call to, to to change my mind, to change how I think, to change what I value, to change my relationships, to change what I think about my body, to change my sexual, how I deal with my sexuality, to change um, how I spend my money, to think about, change how I think about my work, like every aspect of who my life is. I, I have to come under the authority of King Jesus. And, and when I open my life to him, I should expect him to come in and challenge these different places of my life to act like he owns the place because, well, he does. So I know that there are some of us who are with us today and, and um, and honestly, I mean, if you're to be honest, your life is a mess. And likely you feel, you feel guilty about it. And maybe it's hard even to come to church because you feel guilty about some of the things that are happening in your life. And, and I just want you to know like, that's actually a good thing that you feel because that is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That is King Jesus starting to, to deal with you about some of the things that need to change in your life. He's taking authority, he's rearranging the furniture. So really a question that all of us should ask, whether you're brand new to following Jesus or you've been at this for decades is, is what, is what is Jesus upending in your life lately? How is Jesus rearranging the furniture in your life lately? What has he been convicting you of? What has he been speaking to you about? What has he been challenging you for? Because the experience of following him, coming under his authority and his lordship and his kingship is to understand that he is going to challenge how I live. And so we should expect that and we should be thinking about that, listening to that stirring because G King Jesus 
is saying that you are his. Now, one of the specific ways that Jesus was taking his authority on that temple on that Monday is he's challenging the Jews about how they relate to God. And this is the second thing that he's accomplishing on Monday. First, he's establishing his authority. He owns the place. He's, he's, calling, um, he's, he's, he's calling people to change, and he's specifically calling them to change in a way that brings them back to the purpose of the temple, which is to connect with God. I mean, that's what he says. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Hear the word prayer for all nations. The purpose of the temple is to connect with God. It's to have fellowship with God. It's to have a relationship with God. That's why the temple was given in the first place. It's why the sacrificial system exists, was to have a connection with God. So imagine what Jesus sees on that Monday as he shows up to the temple. This is Passover week. So the temple would have been packed full of people. It's the biggest holiday of the Jewish year. So the temple, it's like Black Friday on the Temple Mount, but Black Friday before COVID, back when Black Friday was, was a thing. And um, it's just full of people. And if you traveled a long distance, you didn't bring an animal with you to sacrifice under the system. No, you would buy an animal. Is that, that's reasonable. And you'd probably have to exchange your money to, to make that purchase. And so all of those things are taking place. And Jesus shows up and he sees all this happening and people making their prescribed sacrifices, but this doesn't sit well with Jesus. It doesn't sit right with him. He, he sees something here and he, and you can tell what doesn't sit right with him if you listen to that line. Um, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Just by using that line, you can tell what is really bothering Jesus, that, that people are missing this, this connection with God. This is also why the day opens with the fig tree. In the Old Testament, the fig tree was a, often a symbol for Israel, the people of God. And you'll notice the fig tree is not bearing fruit, so it's out of step with, um, with God's purposes. It's out of season there. And it's not bearing fruit, so it's not, it's not producing what it's supposed to be producing. And so Jesus, you know, he curses the fig tree as a symbol that the whole people of Israel are out of step. The whole system of the temple, it's not bearing fruit. And there are a lot of people here, they're, they're you know, on the Temple Mount that day, that are going through the rituals, they're doing their prescribed sacrifices, you know, but their hearts aren't changing. They're not producing their fruit, they're, they're missing it. So what Jesus sees in that, on that temple that day are people going through the motions, doing their duties, doing what's expected of them, but missing why it matters. My house is supposed to be a house of prayer. It's called to be a house of prayer, a house of prayer for all nations. This is a place to connect with God, but you've made it a den of robbers. You've made it a, a chaotic, frenetic, just full of frenetic religious activity. It's just, it's just, it's a life that is not connected with God, but full of activity. And in no place in the Bible is Jesus interested in formalized religious rituals. We never see that. Jesus wants us to know God, to experience him, to love him, to connect with him. And so Jesus looks at all this. He's like, you're missing the point. You've missed the heart behind this. Just like the fig tree, you're not bearing fruit. There's something more. All of this is wrong. You've missed the point. You're doing this religious activity, but you're not connecting with God. So here's another question we should ask ourselves. Does your life look like the temple? Do you find yourself um, doing all kinds of religious activity, but failing to connect with God? And this is an especially dangerous thing for religious people. Sometimes you start to go through the motions of religious activity, but you fail to actually connect with God. So here's maybe some questions to think through, to do a little um, inventory for yourself. Um, questions like this. Uh, do you pray? 
or do you say your prayers? Right? There's a big difference between those two things. Do you go to church or do you worship? On the outside, those two things look like the same thing, but they're very different realities. Or think about your life. How do you handle, I don't know, worry, stress? Do you go for a walk, go for a jog, go work out? Do you talk about it with a friend, which usually doesn't resolve anything? Do you maybe self-medicate, have a few drinks? Or do you find yourself being drawn to God's presence where you cast your cares upon him and you experience him taking those burdens off your shoulders? How do you deal with, I don't know, guilt? Do you just excuse it away? I'm just a sinful person, nobody's perfect, that kind of thing. Or, or do you find yourself through confession and repentance coming to the presence of God to confess and to find freedom, to find forgiveness in him? How do you make hard decisions? Do you just go to YouTube and Google and see what other people have to say about things or make spreadsheets so you can weigh all of the different options? Or do you find yourself bringing those decisions and those questions before the Lord and sitting and listening to what he has to say? Do you connect with God or do you just do religious activities? This is the temple. Do you find yourself filling your life with all kinds of religious activities but failing to connect with God? This is the question that we need to be asking ourselves. I mean, as I've said in many other sermons, Jesus did not come to make us good at religion. Jesus came so that we can know God, we can walk with God, we can have fellowship with God, have friendship with God, that we can experience him. It's the whole purpose of the gospel. And this leads us to the third thing that Jesus is doing on the temple that day. So first, he's exerting his authority. And second, He's calling people to remember the purpose, to connect with God. And the third thing he's doing that day is he cleanses the temple because he is telling everyone there that he himself is the final temple. I mean, again, think about the purpose of the temple. We lifted up two things. One, the temple is the presence of God. It is where God dwells and it is therefore where sacrifices are made. But here's Jesus, God in the flesh, come to live among people. He himself is now where God dwells. Think about that verse we read around Christmas time every year, John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh, that is Jesus himself. He became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. That word dwelling in the original Greek is really the word for tent. And the reason it's the word for tent is because like in the Old Testament, before there was a, te a temple, there was a tent of meeting, a tabernacle, and it served the same purpose as the temple before there was a temple, did all the same functions. Jesus himself is the presence of God. He himself is the place where God dwells on earth. He is the tabernacle, he is the temple. And as the tabernacle, the temple was the place where sacrifices were made, where the place where, where humans were, were atoned for and given access to God. Again, Jesus himself is the final temple. He is the tabernacle. He is the temple. He is the place where that atonement is going to happen, where the substitution takes place. And this is not a sacrifice like all the other sacrifices that have been made because this sacrifice is done once and for all, not every year. And this sacrifice doesn't just cover sin, it defeats the power of sin. And this sacrifice doesn't just bring us close to God, but still outside of the Holy of Holies. Instead, this sacrifice, it tears that curtain from the Holy of Holies in two, and it brings us into the very presence of God because that is himself is Jesus. In fact, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament will write this in 1 Corinthians chapter six. 
He'll say, do you not know that your bodies, that by the way is written in the plural. So it's like, do you not know that y'all's bodies, that you, you all who belong to Jesus, y'all, everyone who belongs to Christ, do you not know that your bodies, your lives, who you are, are temples of the Holy Spirit? This is the promise of the New Testament. Think about what that means in terms of biblical theology, that, that, that you are the place now where God dwells. You are the place where the presence of God is. We, we gather together because together we now are the temple of God. And so we keep reading here. You do not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. No, King, you belong to King Jesus. You were bought at a price. And the price, of course, is the sacrifice of Jesus. So Monday is a strange day, but it's all pointing to something much much bigger, that Jesus and Jesus alone has authority, that what God wants from us is not just religious activity, but he wants us to connect with him. And third, that, that he and he alone, that Jesus and Jesus alone has made a way for us to come to connect, to have fellowship and friendship with God. This very strange Monday starts off with the fig tree, ends with the cleansing of the temple, it might be very strange, but it is chocked full of good news. Good news that we are invited to come and to actually know God, to surrender to Him, and to live in a relationship with Him. This is God's desire and will for our life. Let's pray together. And so Father, today as we walk through this um, very strange Monday, we wanna acknowledge these three things. One, that you have authority. You have authority over our lives. You bring your hard line of your will to our lives. You challenge us and change us. And I pray, God, that you might speak to us about these places in our life that where the tables need to be upended. And we might be thinking about this. What, what area of our life does Jesus need to upend tables? Where, where are you working to rearrange the furniture? And this is really how we know that we belong to you because this is what you do for those who, who belong to you is you change our lives. We also know, Lord, that you are the one who's come to connect us with God, that you don't want us just to have religious activities and fill our lives with religious things and going through the motions, but rather you call us to a relationship with you. For some of us, we need to confess and repent because we have neglected this. We come to church, but our hearts aren't in it. We say our prayers, but we don't actually find you. We go through our lives kind of carrying our burdens ourselves. We don't find we're living in a relationship with you. Lord, would you call us back? to knowing you, having a sensitive heart that follows after you. And most importantly of all, we, we, we understand and we celebrate your sacrifice given for us, that you yourself are the temple. You yourself are the one who is the God in the flesh, that you are the presence of God and that you have made a way for us to come to you, to receive the Holy Spirit in our lives, to live a different kind of way that now we can walk and live as the temple, as the one where we experience the presence of God, the goodness of God in our lives every single day. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we pray with anyone who's with us today and doesn't know the goodness of God, the, the sacrifice of Jesus for themselves, we just offer a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin and would you lead my life? We thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. It is in your name that we pray today. Amen. Thank you for listening to a Schweitzer podcast. We hope you found this message to be helpful and encouraging. If you enjoyed this experience, please remember to share us with your friends and neighbors. Thanks again for stopping by and remember, 
you are loved.